Well, welcome back, everybody, uh, to this Master Investor Masterclass. Uh, we're going to be talking about longevity more in the context of the uh, the inve investment atmosphere and uh, activity in the sector. So uh, let's introduce our panelists. We have uh, Alexandra Sharon Bowles, who is a co-founder of Apollo Health Ventures, an early stage investment fund focused on developing interventions that uh, help, help human health and longevity. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. And uh, somebody who leaves little introduction, Dr. Greg Bailey, who's the co-founder and CEO of Juvenescence. Uh, Greg is a physician and financier and biotech entrepreneur with extensive experience of founding and uh, financing healthcare companies. And uh, we'll be learning more about your work later, Greg. Good to see you. Very nice to see you again, Phil. And uh, Danny uh, Sarimpa of um, Healthcare and Longevity Economy Man Fund Manager from uh, AXA Investment Managers. Uh, Danny's an expert in portfolio management, equity research, sales, uh, and corporate finance. Uh, good to see you, Danny. See you too, Phil. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. So let's jump right in. Uh, lots been happening again, as we talked about in the earlier session since uh, Longevity Week 2019. Um, keen to understand what the panel feels in relation to the, the progress or otherwise uh, in investment within the, uh, the longevity category. So, uh, Greg, let's let's start with you. Uh, you're at the helm of Juvenescence. So you guys are putting out a lot of very interesting news, a lot of activity going on, possible IPO coming up next year. What's the last 12, like, 12 months been for you? <laughs> you throw a pandemic into the mix, it always changes the variables. Um, but the quality of the projects has been astonishing. Um, you know, the acceleration of the science is remarkable. Unfortunately, we've had a couple of failures with Restore Bio and Unity not hitting their endpoints. But I think you learn an enormous amount from the failures. And this is part of the equation, Internet 1.0 versus Internet 2.0. So I think it sets the framework and, and hopefully both of those companies find their footing. I know both of them are trying to readapt their programs accordingly. I think that what started startled me as far as in our sector is spontaneous tissue regeneration. Uh, a couple of projects out of Harvard, which have been uh, successful in both with the optic nerve and the stereocilia of the ear, regenerating it um, with, with small molecule concoction, which is incredible and opens so many fascinating areas. So I continue to be incredibly excited about the quality of the science that we're seeing. Good, and, and uh, you mentioned Restore Bio and Unity, very public uh, illustrations of the challenges of running a uh, R&D business in the, uh, in the public domain. Uh, Danny, has, has this caused any, any dent of confidence perhaps on the uh, uh, institutional side of investing? No, I wouldn't have said so, Phil. I think, uh, you know, examples like Restore Bio and Unity, they're treated and would have been assessed indeed by myself as we would with any biotech investment. And so uh, I think the only uh, change, if, if any, to discern is, is clearly the science around um, aging and longevity. Uh, it's still relatively nascent. Um, and whilst obviously we're making tremendous progress, um, there's an element of uh, additional risk, perhaps, um, when pursuing uh, new pathways. So um, I don't think, uh, you know, it, it changes any less uh, the enthusiasm. I think uh, we'd all want to see therapeutics evolve in this arena. Uh, but clearly, these were two high profile disappointments, relatively late stages of development. Um, but 
you know, from my lens, we still see significant investments in cell therapy, stem cell therapy, uh, and, and quite large companies uh, making substantial investments in those uh, fields, and notably in, in Japan, uh, where companies like uh, Takeda, like that, are, are you know, trying to build, uh, you know, world-leading stem cell capabilities. So it still looks very in- interesting. It's just a little bit early. Yeah, well, Danny, we're going to come back to uh, institutional investment as a uh, as a discussion point later. Uh, but Alex, let's let's turn to you. What's uh, what's the last twelve months been for you guys at Apollo? Have you seen some interesting stuff coming through? Sure. I mean, just besides the pandemic and the trial failures that we already commented on, I think what we've been really noticing is that there is a tremendous increase in the space. So, not just that there are a lot more angel investors that are really interested in in investing in in some of the nascent companies. Um, But even, um, yeah, larger pharma companies or or new funds that are being started over there, maybe not just the the past 12 months, but just in the recent years, but even in in the last 12 months, we've heard of a couple of new things that have started. Uh, But what gets us most exciting is that even the larger funds, the more, um, yeah, traditional biotech focused funds have raised significant funding recently and have dedicated some of that to, specifically to longevity. Although they don't call it longevity, they call it health security or in enhancing a lifespan or life expectancy and increasing quality of life. But I, I interpret that as a mainstream way of of referring to, yeah, longevity. That's interesting. So I, I guess is, is the uh, is the term longevity something that's uh, ready at a uh, institutional level to to start um, uh, sharing more widely? And I guess that's a question for you, Danny. Um, you know, big institutions, pharma getting involved. You know, what's what's your view on uh, on institutional investors participating in this space? Yeah, I mean, you know, since two thousand fifteen. Only speak for my institution, AXA. You know, we've been reviewing thematic equity research and our product offering. And, and fundamentally, we've always believed that the best way to invest for the long term is to invest in growth companies which are exposed to secular trends that ideally grow faster than the broader market. So, you know, aging and lifestyle, um, which I'm responsible for with, with AXA on the investment management side, you know, was identified as quite clearly one of these key secular trends. Um, you know, without trying to be too uh, melodramatic, aging populations are this century's greatest social, economic, and political transformation. So, you know, the number of people it's well discussed. You know, we wouldn't be having longevity week without without it. But the trends are undeniable in terms of the number of people. Um, you know, entering that over sixty bracket, and even sixty is not old clearly. Um, but clearly, there's increasing life expectancies. There's a, a bigger question mark around increasing health spans uh, to go along with those life expectancies. Um, and companies uh, are rapidly adapting and evolving to meet the needs of those older consumers, whether it be from a medical perspective, but also from a, a purely from a consumer basis. So I think institutions are uh, very much aware and embracing longevity. I can certainly speak to two other institutions that I know have uh, dedicated public equity investment funds uh, focused on longevity. And certainly from my uh, 
time pre-COVID when I was doing a lot of marketing out in Asia and on the continent in Europe, uh, there certainly is a lot of investor appetite. Uh, I just think, uh, you know, we, we, we need to be able to package it a little bit better um, to get a little bit more, uh, you know, wholehearted adoption. But, but it's definitely uh, percolating strongly there. Good. And uh, Greg, I guess you've been knocking on a few doors of a few institutions over these uh, these last 12 months. Uh, what are your experiences of, of dealing with those, uh, the bigger banks and the institutions? It's been fascinating, Phil, and, and Tech was something that both Danny and Alex have been saying. The, um, I think the banks are way mark, markedly ahead of the investors in, in what they think is going to happen in the technology, and rightfully so. <clears throat> you know, you, you um, Citibank talks about it being one of the 10 most disruptive technologies of this decade. Bank of America talks about it being a half a trillion dollar industry by 2025. And I give you Credit Suisse or Bank of America, a number of banks, but they are all there. I think the investors are going to be slow to it for the reasons that Danny alluded to. You know, I mean, it's still nascent. They want to see, they don't have to rush in. Um, we've been trying to pitch it on you know, uh, that we are a company exclusively focused on modifying aging and with a diverse portfolio. So it's an incredibly complex area to modify aging. And so to do so, you uh, are going to take, need to take a portfolio approach. But if you are doing that, you should be able to get one or two projects that are successful. And the numbers are extraordinary. You know, 240,000 men in Europe will get prostate cancer, 250,000 women will get breast cancer, 400 million Europeans will get older. So if you had a way to modify that, it, you have a distinct advantage to numbers. You don't have to charge very much if it's a small molecule. So it opens doors. So it's still a work in progress. The biotech investors I've found are slightly behind. They look at you and they say, ah, early preclinical and give you a, you know, a very low valuation. Again, not appreciating that it's a market, you know, 30 to 40 times the size of a cancer opportunity. So it's just all different metrics. But I'm convinced that in the very near future, one biotech, a number of biotech companies will be worth $20 billion who are focused on this sector. I think it plays well to the early stage biotech companies as opposed to pharma, because pharma isn't very good at early stage development. And we, Apollo, uh, juvenescence life, we can do it, you know, inexpensively relative to them. So I just think it's an incredibly, it's the right time. Now we just have, need to get investors behind us. But again, very excited about the opportunity that's presented for all of us. And just while I've got you, Greg, in relation to your plans for your IPO next year, is that something that has been affected by COVID or has it accelerated it? You know, it, it's, Certainly some of our programs have been put behind. We had one that was supposed to be in a phase two clinical trial um, this quarter and now it's been pushed back because the University of Pittsburgh doesn't do it and Mass General has a five month waiting period. Um, we also you know, have gotten in front of a panel and the panel you know, took longer to get to aggregate or to congregate. So yes, it's definitely affected that. Um, and, but on the other hand, Biotech has been an incredibly hot sector with tremendous growth and, and people are looking at it afresh. We've been really fortunate in that we just uh, got the Gates Foundation grant to try and find drugs to repurpose for COVID-19 or drug combinations. Uh, it's this wholly owned subsidiary of Juvenescence. And the nice part about that is what we learned from COVID 
and trying to boost the immune system will be very advantageous to boosting the immune system in the elderly, clearly. I mean, COVID is a racist and an ageist. You know, it, it seems to attack certain races and it certainly attacks anyone over a certain age. So I think there's, again, you're seeing that transition um, to investors refocusing on a sector. Now we just have to convince them that this is a natural segue into the area of modifying aging. Okay, good. So let's let's break down longevity a little bit more uh, and try and understand a little bit about what the uh, the hot areas are in this sector from an investor perspective. It's been what fourteen months since we launched uh, Longevity Technology, and you know, from the early days when we were looking around for content, it's uh, completely the opposite. Now we have more than we really can cope with. So, uh, Alex, I bet your inbox is full of a few emails uh, a day from uh, companies looking for funding. You know, what are the areas that you would consider to be hot that would be investable for your? Fund? Sure. So we are really focused on biotechnology. So we are really focused on developing therapeutics that will be tested in clinical trials to show safety and efficacy. So coming from that perspective, um, of course, we need to look at uh, projects that really have a potential to modify an, an endpoint. Uh, that we can detect in a clinical trial. And so we are initially really focused on the science and the scientific evidence that this is actually possible. And from that perspective, what becomes really interesting is, and we heard that already in the previous panel, uh, the concept of age reversal or actually reversing certain phenotypes, reversing certain what you would also measure as endpoints and show that you can actually make the tissue healthier than it was before. And for in, that, in those areas, um, the one of the key topics that we heard about a lot in the previous session was senolytics, right? Like if you're removing the senescent cells, the tissues can regenerate, you have a healthier tissue as a result. That's the concept. And we're trying to figure out whether this is actually true in humans and we can find the right pathways that we need to modulate. Um, that's one of the, the interesting areas that we are already involved in. We have a portfolio company in, uh, but then there are a couple of others that have also shown to promote reversal of aging, which um, is epigenetic reprogramming. I think uh, Greg mentioned the regeneration of the optic nerve, for instance. That's really exciting. Um, I think we're still very early in, in that stage in terms of translation, but the science is really promising. And the other thing that we think is really interesting in terms of the recent uh, scientific evidence that came out of it was is a concept of systemic rejuvenation. So basically circulating factors or replacing, removing, diluting uh, factors in the blood that um, can help to restore uh, systemic tissue um, function. Um, so that's, that's on our side, the probably most potent promising areas, but again, it's, it's still early. So interesting, there's a lot, a lot of diverse things happening. Are, are companies coming to you and classifying themselves as longevity businesses? Um, increasingly, yes. Um, before it was more, we are targeting this one disease and we are a, 
ophthalmology company or we are a kidney company. Uh, but when you really look at the targets, you realize that the target that they are pursuing is actually a target that's relevant for systemic aging. Um, and over the past year, we've seen more and more companies that really think of them as platforms for aging, but then of course they have a strategy of targeting a very specific indication first, which is which makes sense. Okay, so Greg, you're obviously um, unashamedly a longevity business. Um, <laughs> lots happening in your labs, I'd imagine at the moment. Uh, what are you seeing in terms of hot areas that you're involved with yourself, but likewise what you're seeing in the, in the marketplace? You know, as, as Alex and I both said, I mean, tissue regeneration is just captivating. You know, you damage a kidney and we're able to regrow you a brand new kidney, not a seven-year-old kidney, but a new kidney. Um, children under the age of seven who uh, accidentally amputate the tip of their fingers, some of them will regrow the finger. That's astonishing. I mean, that means the cells must be talking to each other to reorganize into arteries, bone, tendon, skin. How do we turn that back on an amputee? You know, and as, as Alex said, you know, this is not around the corner, but it's something you see coming. Um, and hats off to Yamanaka and people like Mike West, who've done a lot of the pioneering work in this area. So that's incredibly compelling. I think that, and then by the way, I'll be delighted to be wrong on this. I think that going after the primary cellular pathways, um, mTOR, AMPK, sirtuins, is going to be incredibly tricky because I perceive it as a feedback loop. So there's seven sirtuins. If I change sirtuin three, what do I do to the other six sirtuins? So quantum computing will just completely change the paradigm, I think, for both drug discovery. AI is fantastic at chemistry. It's rubbish at biology because biology is chaos theory. So it's a tricky area where for chemistry, it's pattern recognition and the computer is going to eclipse any man on earth. And there aren't too many men not on earth. Um, so then you go to the area that I do think is practical and applicable and taking a reverse of almost of what Alex said. Um, I think that what we're seeing is let's go for a conventional regulatory pathway um, and that is applicable to aging. So she's seen the companies come in that says they're an ophthalmology company, but actually you see that it's working on a pathway that would affect aging. We're seeing things like fibrosis and inflammation play an enormous role in aging. So if I have a panfibrotic or an inflammation process that'll work across multiple organs, I can literally change aging. So that to me is gonna be big. And then the other one that I think is incredibly compelling is a, much to our surprise when we started Juvenescence was that a lot of the products we're seeing are IP protected and yet they're safe. So we can go under a grass generally recognized as safe regulatory pathway in the United States. There's a similar one for you and you can get these products on the market. And the incredible thing about these products is they're not to treat a disease, they're to prevent a disease. And is it, wouldn't that be amazing if I prevented fibrosis, prevented inflammation? So I think that this is going to be a significant piece of the solution and will be part of the equation that will create the $20 billion company in five years. 
So plenty to, uh, to, to get you up in the morning, Greg. Uh, so yeah. let's move on to then the uh, the excitement of of the everyday, uh, Danny. I mean, what uh, you're in this space now? <laughs> That's you're, a terrible prelude to Danny. <laughs> yeah, you're you're um, you're very absorbed in longevity. Uh, interested to know what the uh, investor's perspective is from a from a larger scale as to what what gets you out of bed. What's exciting about this sector for you? Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate with the mandate that I have for my fund that I look outside of healthcare as well. So as much as, you know, nearly well, over 50% of the fund is invested in healthcare related assets, um, there's a whole plethora of other industries that are touched by longevity, um, you know, whether it be still spending, whether it be uh, health and wellness, um, you know, more from, from a consumer health perspective, or even uh, looking at it from an aged care perspective. And I think Maybe there's sort of uh, three things to touch on. Um, one, the first two stemming from obviously the pandemic that's around us today. And that is there's a much better appreciation from a public health perspective now about the value of vaccines and the value of diagnostics. And so, you know, we've seen tremendous um, market value being ascribed to these companies now. And the technology that they are advancing as well, I mean, we've, we've never seen a vaccine approved in these timelines, let alone with a, with a brand new technology that has yet to be you know, proven out with an approved therapeutic. And, and so, I mean, this is just a, a phenomenal period in, in, in history, um, both good and bad, obviously, but um, hopefully we come out the other side and it's, and it's a big positive. And the big positive will be, whilst clearly there's been, um, you know, a, a very... Uh, disconcerting number of premature deaths, it will hopefully spur people to take greater responsibility for their own well-being, whether that be through getting a, a diagnostic screening test, getting their annual checkup, being more active physically, taking uh, you know supplements, improving their nutrition. Um, because I touched on at the beginning, whilst lifespans continue to improve, and the data would suggest every 10 years, we have two, two and a half years to our lifespan, we have not seen commensurate increases in, in, in health span. The other than area that I wanted to touch on, and it's an area that maybe is a little bit odd, but I get excited about it, um, is, is the education sector. And, and this really steals uh, unapologetically from the work of Andrew, Scott and Linda Grattan, uh, looking at the three-stage life model that we've historically uh, followed, which you know, if, if aging trends continue, is just not fit for purpose. Um, certainly not for my children, and, and it's debatable whether it's going to be fit for purpose for myself. And, and really, we need to uh, embrace this idea of lifelong learning. And so the education sector is really ripe for disruption. Uh, it's an area where we make investments today. There are companies that offer um, degrees at work programs in the US, and companies have realized these are both uh, retention tools, uh, retraining tools, uh, there are also recruitment tools where people can get on-the-job degrees uh, and maybe pivot because their current job is becoming obsolete. As a result of technology, they can move within the company but to a different, um, you know, um, different section of the of the business with a different capability. Um, equally, you know, look at the healthcare sector. There is a disproportionate number of doctors and nurses that are scheduled to retire within the next five years, um, and, and that's an area which you know requires more and more investment. And I was reassured. At least from the UK perspective, there was a BBC uh, article talking about record numbers of people applying for medicine uh, this year and hopefully nursing as well. 
And maybe that's been a function of obviously the, the acute need that we've seen as a result of COVID. Um, but the last one, and, and maybe it's the most sort of um, real example, is we have an investment management company that we're invested in, um, you know, a publicly listed company, and they have devised their own academy to essentially take, um, you know, mature adults, hopefully I'm a mature adult, um, but, you know, someone who's been in industry for 10, 15 years, maybe they were in marketing, maybe they were a teacher, maybe they were an accountant, but they decided actually they'd like to make a career change and they'd like to go into investment management. And um, the average age of the uh, participants in this program uh, from this asset manager, this wealth manager, is 38, 39 years of age, which, you know, is, is I think, a, a real example of companies recognizing um, you know, this three-stage life model isn't going to be the one that's going to be um, the model of the future. People are going to change their jobs repeatedly out of our desire or necessity. And so education is going to be playing a critical role, particularly, um, you know, ongoing adult education. Yeah, interesting. Uh, having just started a publishing house, uh, I think I'm a demonstration of the uh, three-career lifetime. How about you, Alex? Uh, what, what's interesting in your, in your daily activities? Um, yeah, for those who don't know, I'm, I'm a scientist, so I'm really excited about science. I've been in aging research for over 12 years, and the moment I learned about aging research, uh, my mind was blown about the concept of it and being able to target these basic mechanisms to enhance healthy lifespan. Uh, and surprisingly, every week or every day when you see the new publications coming out, it's incredibly exciting what's happening in the space and the new discoveries that are being made. And I think similar to what was discussed in the, in the previous panel, there are a couple of emerging areas that we still don't understand quite well, but when there are new publications coming out, for instance, on a microbiome, it's very intriguing to really dive deeper and understand those. But that said, um, we have a couple of portfolio companies in our, uh, in our uh, fund that are targeting some of these fairly established pathways. These have been around and have been known for a couple of decades. Um, and for instance, the, the, um, the, the calorie restriction part um, where they identify that calorie restriction is one of the most robust interventions in lifespan. And we heard on a previous panel that there are a couple of pathways that are assumed to be um, essential for that effect. For instance, the mTOR signaling pathway, where one of our portfolio company has an mTOR inhibitor, uh, rapamycin analog, which we know rapamycin is probably the drug with the most robust lifespan extension out there right now. Um, and then autophagy has been mentioned by Eric Burden which is this, the, the mechanism of which itself are kind of cleaning up the, the junk. And, uh, and one of our portfolio companies is also developing these. And as Greg mentioned, these, these mechanisms really could prevent diseases. We've seen that in a lot of animal models that they prevent neurodegenerative disease, metabolic disease, cardiovascular disease. And at the same time, we know that there are certain indications where these mechanisms are so central to the pathology that we can actually help patients right now that are suffering from certain symptoms and be able to um, yeah, use these interventions already um, before we actually move into the preventative stage. So that, that's really exciting and working on these topics is uh, yeah, 
a blessing. That's good to hear. And I, I guess, Greg, you're not short of uh, stimulation yourself these days. So, so what's coming out of uh, juvenescence and what keeps you busy in the mornings? Um, <clears throat> we have uh, two companies that I'm, I'm very, we're trying to create an ecosystem so the companies can work together on things. And uh, Ligenesis and Ajax, one has stem cells, the other one implants cells into lymph nodes to have them act as secondary organs. So when somebody's going to liver failure, they would inject hepatocytes, liver cells into the lymph gland, and that would be able to reverse the liver failure. And what was incredible about that when we saw the project was that the lymph node reacts to blood stimuli and GI stimuli exactly like the liver does, so that you actually can indeed reverse it. Theoretically, we can then use that similarly for type 1 diabetes using beta-islet pancreatic cells. So really, really intriguing to see where you could take that. Can I turn lymph nodes into mini bioreactors to deliver drugs you know, and that are responsive to the body? Going back to what Alex said about blood factors and how they influence the body, you could have your very own uh, pharmaceutical manufacturing uh, lymph node. Uh, and, the, and as I've mentioned, and is the opportunity for IP-protected uh, grass, quick, uh, supplements that actually under rigorous science. And one of them is from Eric Burden, uh, ketone ester, which in mammals is geroprotective, neuroprotective, and cardioprotective, meaning the mammals live longer, protected their heart, protected their brain. You know, and if it's safe, you know, how, how fantastic. And if the price point is one that makes it accessible for people. So those sort of things are, are very compelling to me. Well, I guess we're hopeful on the basis of our, our new news on the vaccine that we might all be in the same room uh, when it comes to Longevity Week 2021. Um, lots ahead in the next 12 months. Uh, Danny, what are you doing in your forward planning for this, this coming year? What's, what's on your spike? Yeah, I mean, you know, when we, we look ahead um, at the next 12 months, I mean, from a science perspective, we're looking more from an incremental, I would say, rather than transformational. So, you know, we continue to prosecute opportunities in sort of the gene therapy space, targeted oncology. I think liquid biopsy uh, is really on the cusp of going much more mainstream, whether it be therapy selection, tumor surveillance, or just, you know, uh, general uh, clinical screening. Um, I think nutrition has potentially uh, got a, a larger role to play, whether that be through microbiome or supplements along the lines of maybe what Greg is alluding to. And then just the, the delivery of care, the point of where care is delivered, um, different sites of care, you know, the advent or, or acceptance now of telemedicine, telehealth, uh, and also an appreciation that probably the home is probably the best place to recuperate. Um, so home health care, um, personal care for for you know those less able to look after themselves. I think those are the areas, from my perspective, that will continue to play a, a big part of the, sort of uh, the investments I make from a, a longevity perspective. And of course, COVID has driven uh, quite a lot of uh, compression of development as well for things like uh, market adoption of telehealth. So I guess the uh, the future twelve months is going to be very uh, reflective of the last twelve months in terms of its uh, its acceleration. So, uh, what about you, Greg? What what are you working on, and what's coming up over the next year for you? Um, well, hopefully the financing, uh, which should be fantastic. I think it'll be good for the whole sector if we're able to raise a robust amount of money. Um, 
in this sector, and, and I've mentioned a couple of times about tissue regeneration, and we will be in human trials uh, for the lymph node for liver, which will be a prelude, hopefully, to pancreas and thymus. Um, the thymus is the organ that begins to involute at age 20 at 3% a year and creates T cells, so plays could be playing a significant role in the fat reason immunosenescence, the aging of the immune system. So that will be up. Hopefully we launch our first product early on next year, the neuroprotective, geroprotective, cardioprotective. So I'm interested to see the uptake to that. We will be launching simultaneously with that a division we call JuView, uh, which allows you to upload your biometric data to us to go back to what Paulina said and Alex has said about endpoints. I mean, wouldn't it be spectacular if while you're on a product, you actually see that it is slowing your inflammation panel, it's slowing your, uh, making your immune system more robust. And if you hit a button, we'll transfer all the data to your GP. And if you hit another button, we'll delete it. So fundamentally, you are in control of it. And we have machine learning uh, that we're using with the Gates Foundation to back it up, to be able to empower you to make very wise choices about your health. So that would be really compelling from my perspective. And I will apologize. I might have to drop off in four minutes for another call. Sure, Greg. That's, that's understood. Well, I guess uh, one app that does it all is uh, a very appealing opportunity, I think, for, for the sector to come together. And I guess that's a, an interesting, interesting platform for next year, perhaps. And what, what about yourself, Alex? What do you see over the next 12 months? Um, I think most of the things were already said. Um, but... <laughs> um, yeah, looking into what the pandemic has done to the general perception of the role of aging biology. Um, I mean, it's it's not really clear to some, but I think to us in the in the space, it's pretty obvious that this is related to an aging related or age a decrease in resilience caused by aging, and this is really driven by both. Um, the decrease in immune function that Greg also mentioned is related to the thymus, uh, but also to the bone marrow. Uh, so this is really an area that we are also looking into to really understand which are the important targets that we can modify to increase immunity um, in general, not just for this specific virus, but also for other pathogens, right? Because there's not gonna be just this one virus, there's gonna be others that are coming up and they may require different um, uh, yeah, different therapies. Um, and then the other thing that is really important in that context is also inflammaging. Um, it's inflammation that increases with aging. So we, we refer to it as inflammaging because it's kind of an overreaction. We already have a higher baseline of inflammatory markers in our system when we are aged. And this is, uh, again, something that you can measure with biomarkers, but we know that these are increasingly uh, uh, important in 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 uh, yeah in older populations, and uh, they're probably causing a lot of the morbidity that we're seeing right now, not just in the uh, infectious diseases, but just in general. Um, so, yeah. and, and do you see uh, biotech and uh, big pharma participating in the in the field next year? Definitely. Uh, so for the inflammaging, we already see a couple of pharma companies in that space developing molecules against targets that are related to inflammaging. Um, but even, I mean, it's, it's, it's so clear that the, 
I think the, the one therapeutic that has been shown to really decrease morbidity or mortality uh, was dexamethasone, which is also modulating the, uh, the inflammatory response. So um, I think it's, it's pretty common also for pharma to, to recognize that. Okay, good. Well, I, I guess, uh, Greg, you're going to be jumping off in a minute. So let's just ask you about, uh, uh, you're at the front line of uh, longevity. So what are you doing for your, your own longevity and health span? I'm going to revise everything I do based on what the scientists said on your earlier panel. Um, <laughs> currently, I've been taking uh, supplements uh, and but I mean, I think, I think it's a combination of things. Clearly, you know, a, a very good diet um, is, is very important. And the Mediterranean diet seems to be the best one for Caucasians, um, even though it seems to be ethnically driven, the best diet for various ethnicities. Exercise, you know, doing all a combination of all three, um, endurance, uh, high intensity and yoga. Because I think you need to have that balance and they each seem to affect very different aspects of aging and your immune system. And then I am on, um, I take an, you know, fish oil because it lowers inflammation. I, you know, I take zinc because it might boost your immune system. So a lot of the supplements I'm taking are based not so much on the fact that they're anti-aging as they may affect the process, you know, part of it. Metformin, I'm not sure it affects the cellular uh, pathways, but seemingly you know, insulin resistance at age 50 plays a big role in probably one of the forms of Alzheimer's and also in cancer. So, you know, sort of approaching it from that perspective. Um, so that, that's me, a combination and sleep, which uh, again, one of the, um, I think might've been Paulina mentioned, you know, enormously just trying to make sure I get adequate sleep. Yeah, um, and with an IPO coming up next year, Eric Verdin's uh, reduction of stress levels as well, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, the meditation, doing that, that whole Zen thing. Um, I apologize for having to drop off. Um, Alex, uh, great to see you again. Congratulations on all the good your work you're doing, good work you're doing at Apollo. And Danny, always a pleasure. Hopefully we'll get you to invest in us at some point. <laughs> good. Thanks very much. Here. Thanks very much, Greg. And uh, Danny, I understand your, your regime involves a little less football these days. Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, age has caught up with me and I managed to uh, snap my Achilles tendon playing uh, five-a-side football a month ago. So, yes, yeah, so a little less physical uh, sporting prowess, unfortunately. Um, no, no, I mean, the things from my perspective, I mean, I talked obviously about education. I, I am trying to read more, trying to do more podcasts, trying to, um, you know, find ways to address a, a longer lifespan and, 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 and relate to that, a, a longer working career in all likelihood. Um, I think one of the things we touched on though, when we've spoken in the past was around um, financial longevity. Um, and, you know, if, if we were to, you know, if we believe as, as most of us do, that we're going to live well into our eighties, if not nineties, um, you know, the idea of retiring at 60 or 65 may be a little bit ambitious, uh, not least because have we worked long enough and saved enough to then, you know, support our lifestyle choices in older age for not just 20 years, but possibly 30 or more years. So one of the things that was uh, brought to my attention from a pensions perspective is I think uh, as you close in on your retirement age, um, maybe it's, I think, 10 years prior to your uh, target date, uh, your portfolios typically get put into lower risk 
you know, bond-like portfolios. Um, when the reality is, at least from my perspective, and I'm obviously not um, qualified to give pension advice, I should stress, but I would uh, have a greater risk appetite is, is a sort of my um, uh, mentality because uh, I, I need to make that uh, those savings sweat a little harder to make sure I have enough to last me a longer retirement. Of course, there's a uh, an intrinsic link between uh, health span and uh, finance span. So that's uh, a very uh, very interesting view on it from 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 your perspective. And I guess uh, um, Alex, what about yourself? Yeah. So in terms of um, longevity regimens, uh, I mean there are a couple of therapeutics that uh, several people in the aging space are taking, um, say metformin or even low dose rapamycin, um, and these are probably most likely uh, beneficial for several people, especially if they're in a certain age group, if they have certain underlying risk factors, um, for instance, pre-diabetes or something, or if you're already above a certain age, then most likely there's more benefit than a, than a, than a safety risk or something. But in my case, that's not the case. Um, I think I'm, I'm more, much more on the side where Paulina was uh, headed. So really tracking biomarkers, measuring uh, blood biomarkers. Um, so there are several very well validated and established markers that you can track that are more of a, a sign of general health. Um, I think we heard about omega three fatty acid profiles. Um, there is blood glucose, insulin, um, uh, inflammatory markers. These are things that you can get tested in a lab. I test my uh, sleep uh, quality. Uh, I test uh, continuous glucose monitoring. Um, so there are a couple of things that you can always do to better understand your own personal biology. And I think you should adapt your uh, regimen accordingly. So if you have uh, a certain biomarker in your blood that is elevated, you can understand uh, maybe even uh, with the help of genome um, um, sequencing, um, getting your genome sequenced uh, to understand why does certain biomarker is elevated and uh, supplement accordingly so that you can modulate that biomarker. So that's really where, where I'm uh, mostly active. And then of course, there are some general supplements that everyone can benefit from and they don't usually cause any harm, which is magnesium, vitamin D, and uh, omega-3 fatty acids. Good. Well, that sounds very similar to the sort of work that I'm doing myself, but uh, none of you mentioned red wine, which is a little unfortunate because that's uh, that's on the agenda this evening after today's conference. But uh, it only reminds me to, uh, to thank everybody for joining us today. And obviously, Greg, who's not with us, but uh, uh, Alexandra Bounce of Apollo Health Ventures, thanks very much. And uh, Danny Sarimpa of uh, AXA Investment Managers, thank you both for, uh, for your time today. And of course, to Greg in his, in his absence. So uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, a reminder that coming up on the 12th of November, we have the Longevity Forum hosting a, a lecture from Longevity Person of the Year, Professor Sarah Gilbert, who's from the Oxford uh, Project for COVID-19 Vaccine. So that'll be very interesting. You can uh, get your tickets for that at the longevityforum.com forward slash registration 2020. 
Uh, my thanks to Master Investor for supporting this masterclass in session. And they have a, a virtual uh, Master Investor event happening on the 4th and 5th of December, and you can get tickets on their website. So uh, it's goodbye from me. And uh, thanks again, Alex and Danny, for your, for your time today. Thanks very much for joining us, everybody.